Good day. It's the road trip show again with uh, Didvik and myself. And uh, we're going to do a little bit of a follow up on the Kruger Park and uh, looking forward to Didvik's stories and his travels. Uh, so, Didvik, I'll give it over to you. Awesome. How's it, Didvik? And how's it to all our, all our listeners? Yeah, we going through a bit of the history of the podcast and stuff, and we've got a whole collection of things up there. But our most listened to podcasts are the ones on the Kruger National Park. And it's yeah. quite interesting because they, they're not the oldest ones that we've made, but yet on the statistics, they're getting the most the listenership and the most feedback and the people seem to enjoy Kruger. So I think you've heard from me in the past on the Kruger Park episodes. It's obviously one of my, one of my favorite places. It's, it's, it's a, it's an absolute paradise and it's one of those places that's just good for the soul. And yeah. something I always try and get into people I take to Kruger, and I obviously have my little tour and safari company that runs, is the absolute diversity of stuff that's in there. And, I mean, I've got this one lovely story, and it just illustrates sort of the, the blindness of people in Kruger. Myself and a mate years ago, we'd been abandoned over Christmas. My family had all gone off down to Cape Town and visiting or overseas or something. I was left alone in Joburg. I wasn't married at the time, no girlfriend. And my buddy was in the same state. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I gave him a phone call and I said to him, listen, nah, what are you doing over Christmas? He says, no, he's also, his mom's gone. And he's, uh, I said, come, let's, let, 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 let's go. Let's just, let's just drive. Where to? I said, like, let's, let's try Kruger. And, and he, he had some far family connection or something that worked in Kruger. So they managed to organize us, organize us some accommodation through the back, through the back door. And we got a little hat in the tavern. We got a, you know, we then down to Pretoria's Cop and stuff. So it is, it's a really, really cool Christmas. And, uh, at one stage we were, we were, we were close to Pretoria's Cop and some cheetahs had come out on the side of the road and, there's two, there's two males and they were, they was sort of walking in on the verge of the road. I mean, cheetahs, I mean, it's a fez, it's a stunning sighting. And the one, the one of the cheetahs jumped up on the, on one of the little stone road markers where the direction signs are and stuff like that. And we're watching this and it was a beautiful sighting. I think it's a couple of meters away from a car and this, and this other car pulls up next to us. And he opens his window, so my buddy opens up his window, expecting, you know, what's happening, what you're looking at. I mean, and there's cheaters. I mean, the, the thing's in plain sight. Yeah. And two words came out. In a release. That's all he said. <laughs> Not morning or how's it or hello or how are you or the only words were in a release. And for the listeners overseas, that just means any lions. <laughs> that was it. And then you've got two cheetahs. You never see cheetah. You see, I see cheetah maybe one in five or one in, one in ten visits in Kruger is when you see cheetah. Lion you see almost every visit if you go there for two or three days. Yes. And we just looked at him. But he just didn't even answer. He just shook his head. Window went up and the guy drove away. And to to this day, that still dumbfounds me that someone can go to Kruger and the focus 
is, and he's not just focused on big five. Never mind that. I mean, I find that a bit bizarre as well. But his focus was just Lions. Yeah. And there is so much to see in Kruger. And here you are, you've got two cheaters parading in front of you, and he didn't, he didn't even look at them. And so, yeah. you know, the, 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 what I'm trying to illustrate here is that Kruger's got so much more to offer than just the Lion and to expand that, yeah. the big five. I mean, look, seeing the big five is always a big win, especially the leopard and the, you know, rhino and stuff. Those are very, very special sightings and it doesn't detract from anything else. But if you're only focused on lions or you're only focused on the big five, um, I think you're missing probably 90% of what the Kruger Park's actually about. Yeah. And a little, a little known aspect of Kruger is the historical side of Kruger. And in a couple of future podcasts on, on the four, on the other four or five podcasts we've done in Kruger, we sort of broke it up into North. Um, I think we did North central South or a little more South and then the, then the far South. I can't remember the exact podcast we did. We touched on the different eco zones and the different vegetation and geology and bits and pieces like that. And in a couple of other podcasts, we can go, further into yes. those aspects because it adds so much to your trip. If you're driving through areas and you see the vegetation change and see the geology change, then you know what animals to expect. You know what kind of birds to expect. You know, it's not this blind searching for, for something in, in, in an area where it, where it doesn't, it doesn't occur. Yeah. And, and what we've done on the, on the road trip app, and which is working very well, and we're doing a lot of work on the app at the moment and we sort of splitting up all the listings into different categories. Now, the two Kruger Park categories we've got on the app, um, the one is the Kruger Park visitor facilities. So everything that's a visitor facility, from the camps through to the bird hides, through to, you know, little viewpoints, all that kind of stuff is listed on, oh, yes. on, on the app. And, the, and the, the good part about the visitor facilities one, especially on the camps, we've gone into a lot of detail. We've got the actual map of the camp there. We've got some tips on what where, where do you go. We've got some, you know, if there's a nice walking path that's there, we've got the special bird watching tips for that particular camp or on those camp listings. And so we've done a lot of, a lot of work on those. And that's, that seems to be very, very popular on our app. But what we've also done is we've split that out into now we've got the visitor facilities. And if I look at my um, listings, how we've got 69 different listings so far on the visitor facilities. Sure. But we've also got a separate listing for Kruger, which is the Kruger Park, Kruger National Park historical sites. And again, it just adds a different dimension when you're driving around Kruger. And sometimes you see like this little signboard with a little badge on it. And most people just go barreling straight past it. But Again, it adds another depth or another dimension to Kruger. If you actually go into a little bit of the history, and it's not complicated stuff. You know, Kruger National Park's named after Paul Kruger. Um, he, he proposed or he was sort of the first guy behind the formation of the park in the late 18, 1890s, just before the Anglo-Boer War. There's some historical debate as to whether it was actually him or because he according to some records, trying to oppose the forming of the park at some point. So there's a bit of a debate whether he was actually the driving force, whether it was somebody else, but at the end of the day, he got the credit. And that's kind of how the way politics works. 
So, (laughs) 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 and obviously the project died during the Anglo-Boer War and then it was resurrected in the early 1900s by the British after after the Peace Treaty of Verenigung and Stevenson Hamilton comes in and that was the birth of Kruger. Yeah. So, and as we are, we're now talking early 1900s and the northern part of the park was only much later and it was only formed as a national park eventually in 1928. You know, so before oh. 1928, it was not a park. So all okay. sorts of stuff happened before it became a park and that's where a lot of these historical sites come from. And... Um, if we start, I think, again, I think we, we, we did the initial podcast starting in the north, so we're going to start in the north and we'll, and we'll, we'll break it up into, into slightly easier segments. But the far north, obviously, and one of my favorite little spots, again, is Crook's Corner. You remember uh, Crook's yes. Corner? With I our, love Crook's Corner. <laughs> <laughs> with our favorite character, old Barnard, old Bivit yeah. Kenya, for his elephant poaching. And... Um, it's a stunning, it's a stunning little spot there. I mean, you're right on the river, beautiful views, and it's one of those magical little spaces. And it's got the fever tree forest up that part of the world. But there's a little historical spot there listed, and we're going to stick on the, on these ones to the the spots that are accessible to Joe Public because there's a lot of spots that are not accessible to Joe Public, and the park doesn't let you know about those because obviously they don't want some some uncle in his in his in his four by four deciding to go off-road because his great-grandmother's second cousin 14 times removed is buried somewhere in the park and getting himself <laughs> into trouble. Uh, yeah. and, and, and unfortunately, Joe Public does that kind of stuff. So yeah. the, the spots that we're going to be chatting about are the ones listed in the park. National Parks has put them out there. We've got them all listed on the app. So if you want to go look at them or get more information or find out exactly where they are, it's all on the app. And it does add an extra dimension to it. You know, Crook's Corner, people go to Crook's Corner because it's beautiful views, but I don't think too many people know the actual story behind Crook's Corner. It's called Crook's Corner because it was a collection of of thieves and poachers and smugglers who lived there. And they could leave the border back into into then northern Rhodesia or into Portuguese East Africa. Or if the Portuguese police were coming for them, they'd leave the border and stay in South Africa. And Barnard was famous, of course, because he made the beacon mobile. And when you heard the police come, yeah. he moved the beacon and not his camp. So, and that story, <laughs> that story is actually told in a lot more detail on our podcast about the far northern section of the park. So it's a, it's a, it's a really, really cool story. But that, that's the yeah. one up at, up, up at Crook's Corner. But one a little bit further over towards the west is a place called Tulamela. And Tulumela is a, is an archaeological site and it's, it's stone walls. It's the remnants of an old town, city, development, settlements, whatever name you want to, want to give it. And it's estimated to be four or five hundred odd years old. So we're looking at the 1400s, 1500s, maybe 1600s. The jury's still yeah. out on, on a lot of that stuff. On the age of it. Yeah. On the actual age of it. And it, 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 it was a major trading settlement and trading with the traders situated on the East African coastline. And 
another another little story is there's a there's a spot further down south um, near the Palabora Gate called Masurini, and I'll, we can that will be a separate story. But I walked there once, and I kicked up some dirt, and I kicked up a tiny little blue glass bead. Oh yeah, and that little glass bead apparently is some kind of Chinese made gadget. So the story behind that is somewhere that thing must have come in, coming through, hit the east coast of, of of Africa, probably Zanzibar area. That was the main trading ports in the Arab trade, etc. And in those years, we're talking 1500s, you know. Yes, yeah. But at that stage, the Portuguese had not yet come around the coast and found that route. You know, we're talking pre pre Vasco da Gama yeah. days. Yes, and. I, I, I look at that little bead and you go, the story that this thing has, has got to be an amazing story. How the hell did it wind up in this little spot on the hill in the Kruger National Park? <laughs> There's got to be a long story. Right? And I wish I could, I wish that thing would tell me that story. But Tulamela, if you look at the architecture and the building style, et cetera, um, probably was kind of linked to Great Zimbabwe. Great Zimbabwe is not that far north of that northern part of Kruger. Yes. You know, so it's it's not unlikely that it was involved with uh, the settlements of Great Zimbabwe. Yes. And at this point the the running the running story on this is um that the, at Tulumela, there was a king, a guy by the name of Kozi, 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 K-O-S-I. And he was, he lived in seclusion because at, in those, in those years, again, the king was a kind of divine, divine figure, you know, anointed by God or personal messenger of the gods. And, you know, on, on that side. So he, he was a messenger, he was a personal diviner. He was a herbalist, etc. Only his, only his servants could, could meet up with him. And uh, you look at that 500 years ago, there's this thriving community now in a little hill in what is now the middle of the Kruger, northern section of the Kruger National Park. And you can tour there. You can go there. You can make a booking and you can go and tour and you can walk around these ruins. And you, you visit spots like that and you go, wow, you know, I kind of wish that the, um, the rocks could tell their stories. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's, a, it's one of those spots where you, you kind of feel the ghosts of people walking around. It's almost the same as when you, if you visit Great Zimbabwe, the ruins of Great Zimbabwe, that you feel the presence of, of, of spooks and ghosts and, and all the rest <laughs> yeah. of it. So in the northern side of the park, if you are staying up that side, I mean, the closest camp is Punda Maria, which is a little bit of a drive from there. But to visit through to Tulamela, if you're doing that northern route to spend a day up, in that area, and I mean, it's a stunning, stunning area. You got the 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 the, the fever tree forest drive, and it's all it's a it's like a little almost like a kind of Tarzan jungly kind of feel, which is kind yes. of unusual for for Kruger. And it's one of the areas where some of the tropical bird species that's there, most southernmost southernmost spot, you know, of their range, just touches mm-hmm. the northern part of Kruger. Pell's fishing owl is to be seen up that side of the world, and. Uh, you can make a day or two days trip up there. So Tulamela is again one of the, one of those little spots. But if you're coming a little bit down further south, 
And again, people don't realize it, but you're on the tar road. At that stage, there is only one road up that part of the Kruger. Okay. You're, okay. On, you're, you're on the one tar road. That's it. Um, it splits when you're sort of getting up to the border area because you've got the one, you can get to the Pufuri Gate. You can get up to the, um, uh, the Pufuri border post on the other side. So there is a bit of a T junction, a little network of roads around, around, uh, Crook's Corner. But you want to come down south, there's one road. And at that spot, you come down past a hill called Baobab Hill. And part of the, it sort of ties in with Barnard because Barnard also made a lot of his living as a, as a, what we called at that stage, a native recruitment agent. Uh, Because there was a massive demand of labor for labor in the Vidvatusron. Gold had been discovered. 1886, gold is discovered in Johannesburg. They soon realized this is major industry stuff. It's not just surface workings. It's actually diving down in huge tunnels and sinking shafts and lifts and side tunnels and, you know, massive, massive yes. demand for labor. They had to go and recruit labor because Johannesburg was a, was a hellhole. Johannesburg was high and dry. It's up on the, up on the plateau. It's freezing cold in winter. There's not a hell of a lot of water. There's, um, you know, and the mines are developing. So a little town, town is, 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 is springing up and they need tens of thousands of people. So people are sent out to go and recruit labor. Yes. Arnold was one of those guys and he would go into Mozambique and recruit the local Shangans and he'd go into Rhodesia at that stage or Southern Rhodesia and go and recruit the guys out of there. And, and on Baobab Hill, It's a, and it's a prominent landmark. That's why it was used. There used to be two great big baobab trees on the thing. One of them, unfortunately, got taken up by some elephant, by, by um, I think so. They were, they were taken by some elephants or something. But it, it really stands out. You can see this baobab tree on top of the hill. And what was called the Witwatersrand Native <laughs> Labor Association. And you pronounce okay. it Wenela. Okay. It's a W-N-L-A, but you pronounce it Wenela. Um, actually built a little spot there for the labor to, to, um, congregate. And then they would send, send the guys down through to Johannesburg and a donkey cart or ox wagon or whatever. And yeah. it was one of the points on the route because from, from there, they would then go down to a little town called Sukmakar. It's a little town. <laughs> This is just outside the border of Kruger now called Sukmakar, just south of Polokwane, just south of <laughs> Sukmakar. <laughs> Sukmakar. Let, let's look for each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what it translates into. <laughs> yeah. And uh, from there, they would then get transported down to Johannesburg. So, you know, you, again, you drive past, and if you don't know any of the history, You just drive past it, but yet that's quite an important part of it because that was the yeah. route of labor that used to come down into Johannesburg. Yes. Then if you sort of you, you carrying on down the road a little bit, you get down to um, a place called Klopperfontein. Nothing, nothing super special about it, but there is just a little memorial there. But again, it's Barnard's doing. The Vikenya. The Vikenya had made enough money 
and was so active in the area that he actually built his own roads in order to keep his business going, you know, (laughs) of ivory and of native recruitment, et cetera, et cetera, because he realized, obviously, you know, make a decent little road and make some pathways and build some bridges and stuff. Because if my wagons don't break, I get my labor to Johannesburg better and easier and quicker, et cetera, et cetera. Straight, you know, just just doing business. Yes. And um, Barnard actually built the drift at this place called Klopperfontein. The name comes from a guy by the name of Hans Klopper, who actually camped there often because that area, you're in the middle of the Mapani felt, and that is elephant paradise. Yes. So, um, obviously, you know, if, you, if you're doing ivory hunting, elephants is the way to go, and that is in the middle of a beautiful area, very, very rich in game, and the guys used to camp there, and that's where it got that name from. But now, when you're going further south now, you know, the, ne- the next spot is actually in the Punda Maria camp. Now, Punda Maria is one of my favorite camps in Kruger. It's one of the smallest little camps. It's a really, really tiny little spot. There's, I don't know, you can, you can probably house 60, 70 people in total in the, in the accommodation units. Very old, old little Watland Dorber hats that still exist. They tiny little hats oh, on the nice. fire at the hats because of the risk of fire. Got to go to the actual bry area, but it yeah. is just one of those real calm, peaceful, relaxed little camps. You know, there's never never much noise at night. The campsite is down the bottom, so the campers are doing their own thing. The people in the houses don't have to drive up and down to the restaurant because it's all so close. You know, so you don't have cars running around at night and stuff. So it's in a really really special spot. Yeah. But there's an interesting little historical monument at a little waterhole and little fountain that they've got there called the Bronkhorst Potgieter Journey Monument. Okay, that's now, a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> because it commemorates some of the foot trekkers. And again, you don't associate Kruger with foot trekkers. You know, the, for the four trekkers is KZN and Petra Tief yeah. and, and, you know, Fachkop and that kind of stuff. But a couple of the groups, the four trekkers actually penetrated up through this far northern part of South Africa. And there was one group who came all the way from the Sand River. Now, we spoke about the Sand River Monument. I don't know if you even vaguely remember that one. 1872, the Sand River Convention, yes. et cetera, et cetera. That was that, was yeah. that area. Now, okay, we're, we're not talking 1872, but there's the 1872 Sand River Convention monument that guaranteed the independence of the of the republics from the, by, by the British. That's got nothing to do with this. Yes, it's got nothing yes. to do with the foot trackers, but that from that area. And... Um, these guys moved up through this northern Kruger Park area looking for the route to Byra. Now, Byra is 1,500 kilometers further to the north in Mozambique because that was one of the major trading ports. It was also at that stage known as the port of Sofala. Okay. Sofala equals Byra. And these crew groups wanted to know if it was possible to open up trading routes with Byra. I don't think they quite realized how far it actually was. And... Um, Two groups came through the area. One was under Andries Potgieter, General Andries Hendrik Potgieter, and the other one under a name of, by the name of Bronkhorst. And they, right. uh, the secondary reason for this 
is they were searching for a another group that uh, foot trekkers that are under the leadership of a guy by the name of Lang Hendrik van Rensburg. Lang Hendrik means tall Henry. Okay, Lang Hendrik. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and van Rensburg and his foot trekkers left from the Soutpansburg Mountains. Now the Soutpansburg Mountains are basically straight straight off um, to the west of where we are now, parallel down to the, towards the town of Louis Trichard, etc. Again, Louis Trichard, name of one of the foot trekkers, now called yeah. Aru. But Lang Hendrik left, and they disappeared. They vaporized. <clears throat> There's never been any trace found of of that foot tricker party. The Van Rensburg tricker party vaporized. <sighs> And it's one of the enduring mysteries of South Africa that these guys just disappeared. Yeah. And that little, that little plaque in the, um, camp of Punta Maria commemorates that. And these two groups of people that came through that area actually search, searching for that missing Van Rensburg for Drigger Party. Yeah. <clears throat> You know, so again, you're staying in, if you're staying in Punta Maria, take a walk to the little fountain, have a look at that and think about that early 1800s ox wagons going through that area. And you've got a thousand and one and a half thousand kilometer journey that you're trying to hook up to the port of Safala in Mozambique at like 10 kilometers a day. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that's, you know, and it's just interesting to stand there and kind of ponder. What was going through these guys' heads, and how did they actually do that? Yeah, but I think I think we can call that one on this on this little podcast. We'll keep this one to a, just under yeah. under under, yes. under half an hour, and we can start again with the next one as we start moving a little bit further south, and we get out of that far northern area. And there's a couple of really interesting spots now as we're heading down towards the camp of um, Shingwezi. Cool. Yeah. All right. Cool. We'll, out. we'll chat again next time and uh, we'll carry on with the uh, Kruger Park historical spots. <laughs>